Hello, and welcome to the Ukrainian History Podcast with your host, Ethan Newman, where we will discuss in-depth the history of the Ukrainian lands and peoples from the dawn of man to the present. I'm glad you could join us. Before I start speaking about that topic, however, one question must be answered. Who am I? As I stated a moment ago, my name is Ethan Newman, a baseball-loving, apple-pie-eating American. However, I am one of many Americans with Ukrainian heritage. My great-grandparents were from a town called Kalush in the Ivano-Frankivsk province of western Ukraine. My family came to the United States in the aftermath of the Second World War. My grandmother was born a displaced person in the Black Forest of southern Germany a few years after the war's end. As for myself, I am currently studying mechanical engineering at Michigan State University. You will note that I did not say I am studying history. I am not a historian and do not claim to be one. However, other people have trod the ground of Ukrainian history before me. I can stand on the shoulders of giants, other brilliant historians who have masterfully told the tale of a story people, to bring you the history of Ukraine in short, enjoyable episodes. Now that you know my qualifications, or lack thereof, one more question must be posed. Why am I doing this? As I am sure anyone who has followed the news in the past year knows, the nation of Ukraine is currently struggling for its survival. On February the 24th of 2022, the Russian Federation launched an invasion of Ukraine, the likes of which Europe has not seen since the Second World War. To justify this criminal act, the president of the Russian Federation, Vladimir V. Putin, has attempted to erase the history of Ukraine, claiming Ukraine is little more than a region of Russia which needs to be returned to the Russian fold, with the Ukrainian people being a renegade subsect of the Russian people who speak a bastardized version of the Russian language. This is patently untrue. This leads into the genesis of the podcast you are currently listening to. Over the summer, I encountered Gary Giraud's podcast on the history of France, which I thought was a remarkably interesting work, easy to understand, with a fascinating subject matter, all given by an actual historian. At this point in time, I had been looking for a way to help Ukraine in any way I could, but had no good ideas, being a relatively cash-poor college student. What changed that line of thought, however, what can I do, my career hasn't started yet, I have nothing to give, was the ending of each of Mr. Giraud's episodes. As always, donations keep the podcast going. So if you'd like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. That was it. I could make a podcast when I returned to university to raise funds to help people who need it. Much to my surprise, especially given the increased interest in all things Ukraine since the Russian invasion, when I looked for other podcasts on the history of Ukraine, I found none. I suppose I shouldn't say none. I did find some singular episodes on the entirety of Ukrainian history. But as far as I can tell, I am the only one who is attempting to take a deep dive into the history of Ukraine in a long-running audio format. And so, I will take advantage of that opportunity to fill that hole and do some good in the world on two fronts. The first so-called front can be subdivided into two components. The first of which is to bring you a fascinating tale of the borderline between the East and the West, Europe, China, and Arabia, of Viking raids, the medieval conquests of the Caven state, the invasion of the Mongols, the revolts under the Hetmanate, and so, so much more. While giving you this fascinating tale of a nation, I will also be undermining Vladimir Putin's baseless claims of Ukrainian subservience to Russia. By merely listening and understanding the content of this podcast, 
he will do a small part in fighting Putin by understanding what he says is false. A large amount of this podcast will lay out in detail the separation of the Ukrainian, Russian, and Belarusian peoples. The second front is much more direct. As many of the revenues generated from this podcast's Patreon page as possible will go to charities helping to aid the Ukrainian people. Primarily, Razom for Ukraine, an organization that is sending medical and communications equipment to save the lives of those both on the front lines and for those unfortunate civilians caught in the way. Now you know about what this podcast is, who is presenting it, and how this will be helping real people who desperately need the assistance. Let's get to some history, shall we? In order to do a Ukrainian history podcast, another question becomes clear. What is Ukraine? Even in modern times, defining Ukraine is not cut and dried, though it well should be. Including the rightful Ukrainian lands of Crimea, Sevastopol, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporozhizhia, which have been illegally claimed by the Russian Federation, Ukraine is a country that stretches from the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov in the south to the Pripyat River in the north, and from the eastern foothills of the Carpathian Mountains in the west to the Donetsk River in the east. But land is an inanimate object. It has no history by itself. The people that live on that land are what hold history. Conveniently, the Ukrainians have a term to tie the land and the people together, the Narod, which can translate to mean either nation or people. It is the history of the Narod that I will attempt to convey to you. Obviously, the land of the Narod has changed over time. The Kyivan Rus used to hold lands far north of the Pripyat. Rostov-on-Don was once part of the Ukrainian People's Republic, and colonies such as Green Ukraine held territories as far as Vladivostok. On the opposite end of the spectrum, for much of history, there was not a country representing the Ukrainian people at all, instead being forced into subservience by groups as varied as the Golden Horde, the Austrians, the Russian Empire, and the Soviet Union. With all this confusion about what Ukraine is and isn't, I suppose it might be helpful to look at the name of Ukraine itself. The changes in what Ukraine was referred to over time reflects quite a lot about the state of the Ukrainian people. As such, I did research into what names were used for Ukraine over time, and I have found four such terms. The first is the word Rus, which later evolved into the word Russian. But wait, if this is a Ukrainian history podcast, why am I talking about the name of Russia? You may be surprised to hear that originally Rus referred to the lands of the Kyivan state and not those of the Muscovite realms. There are two primary theories into the origin of the word Rus. The first posits the word as coming from a Norse tribe called the Varengo Rois, who conquered what is now Ukraine in the 9th century. The other is called the Anti-Normanist theory and claims that the term originates from the Rose River that flows near Kyiv. I tend to favor the anti-Normanist theory simply because the first known uses of the word date to Greek documents from the 7th and 8th centuries, a whole 200 years prior to when the Berlingoroas conquered Ukraine. It is important to state that in these times, when the term Rus was first being used, it only referred to Ukrainian lands and not those of present-day Russia. In fact, the lands of Moscow were referred to as Muscovy. Individual cities, such as Rostov and Novgorod, were named individually. One idea to keep in mind about the usage of the term Rus, however, it does not imply definitive geographical boundaries. The term instead denotes lands under the political influence of Kyiv at any given time. For example, 
between 11.40 and 12.30, when the ruse, as mentioned in the First Novgorod, Hypatian, and Laurentian Chronicles, the context used clearly implies that the ruse are in the cave Chernihiv region. One will also note that in the Laurentian Chronicle, I mentioned a moment ago, that Rostov was mentioned as a land of its own, and that the Muscovite realm was called the Ryazan land for events in 1239, and the Mordovian land for events in 1240. It is unlikely that the name of the land changed in just one year, rather different authors may have used different terms. By the late 12th century, the meaning of the term Rus had become associated with the Galicia-Bohemia region of western Ukraine, as exemplified by Roman Mstislavich, a ruler of Galicia-Bohemia crowned in 1199, who ascended to the throne of the King of All Rus. Rus was still used to describe Ukraine much later than one might expect, albeit no longer exclusively. I have found works as late as 1497, which write about events that occurred in the 13th century, where Moscow was still referred to as the Ryazan land. The decisive event that tipped the meaning of the word Rus to refer to the Muscovite realm were the Mongol invasions. I have found a 1237 chronicle which mentions Moscow as the land of the Rus. However, a much more notable work in this transition is the 1380 Zadonshina, which explicitly claims the Moscow principality led by Dmitry Ivanovich as the land of the Rus, while several princes in the work claim themselves as great-grandchildren of Vladimir Sviatoslavich, otherwise known as Volodymyr the Great, one of the most famous princes of Kiev. Depending on one's point of view, there may have gone so far as to make this a rework of an earlier Ukrainian work. There are striking similarities between the Zadonshchina and the 1185 Slovo Opolku i the latter still referring to the Rus as being in modern-day Ukraine. I will not go as far as to say that the Zadonshchina plagiarized the Slovo. There are questions of the Slovo's authenticity. However, many scholars do agree the Slovo is authentic, and therefore it is highly likely that this is one of the first cases of the Russians claiming Ukrainian heritage as their own. Russia was never a term that the Kievan Lus called themselves. That term came into being when the Muscovites claimed the word Lus for themselves. By the 15th and 16th centuries, the term Rus had been cemented to the lands of Moscow and to modern Russia, and in 1713, Tsar Peter I ordered the name of the country to change from Muscovy to Russia in all official documents. This leads us to the second word used to describe Ukraine, Ruthenia. Ruthenia is little more than a Latinization of the word Rus. Ruthenia was a term that was used in Western Europe, such as in papal documents to describe present-day Ukraine during the Middle Ages. It is also a term favored by Poles who had reason to desire keeping Ukraine under Polish influence. A little fun fact, element number 44, Ruthenium, is named after Ruthenia. The third term is doubtlessly the most offensive in the modern era. Malorusia, or Little Russia, and, for hopefully obvious reasons, should never be used to describe modern-day Ukraine. The phrase Little Russia originated as a Greek term in the 13th century for Galicia Volhynia, and is technically a correct term to use for that area in that period. The origin of Little Russia as a widespread phrase, however, was also due to Peter I of Russia. The Russian Empire in the early 18th century decreed that the Russian Empire was made of three Russias, as well as many other smaller provinces. These Russias were Great Russia, or the Russia you think of when you hear Russia today, Little Russia, or Ukraine, and White Russia, or what would become Belarus. This is a form of the brotherly Slav myth. 
stating that all Slavic groups are one people acting benevolently towards each other. This is false, as many future episodes of the podcast will describe. This brings us to the last term used to describe the nation, the word Ukraine itself. The term, which meant borderland in Old East Slavic, became popular during the National Revival Movement of the late 19th century. However, the word had been used much earlier. The 1187 Kyiv Chronicle mentions the word in the form Okraina, with an O-U to start the word. This more referred to the edge of civilization rather than an actual nation, and it is used as such in a description of the death of the Pereyaslav prince Volodymyr Klybovich to refer to Eastern Galicia, the first known usage of the word. Over time, the word expanded to include more of the country. By the late 15th century, it referred to the middle of the Dnipro region, which is also appropriate to use in the context of edge of civilization. At the time, the region was still prone to intense raids by the Tatars. In the 16th century, the word could be used for the entire country, except, ironically, Galicia. As mentioned above, the term became popular for the entire country during the late 19th century nationalist revival movement. And, curiously, the people were referred to as the Ukraine Rus. At the time, it was believed the addition of Rus would emphasize connections with the Kaivan Rus state of the Middle Ages. However, after a few decades of usage, Rus was again dropped as the Russians increasingly encroached upon Ukrainian life and culture. At this point, the words Ukraine and Ukrainians had become the proper terms to refer to the Narod, which is true to this day. Another point must be addressed before moving on from this topic. That is the fact that the mere existence of the Ukrainian language itself has been disputed the entire time it has existed. Many scholars, primarily Poles and Russians throughout history, who have had reasons to want to keep Ukraine subservient to their respective nations, have stated Ukrainian is a mere dialect of Polish or Russian. I am no linguist. I do not hold qualifications to tell you whether these claims have merit or not. But I can tell you that much of this podcast will be dedicated to proving that the Ukrainians are their own people. With all this stated, I believe enough context has been given to give it as concise a definition as possible that I will use to determine what needs to be covered during the podcast. Returning to the early centuries of the Common Era, there was a large group of Slavic peoples academically called the East Slavs. This group was subdivided into three more groups, one in the Northeast, who would become the Russians, one in the Northwest, who would become the Belarusians, and one in the South, who would become the Ukrainians. It is that southern branch of the East Slavic people I will attempt to trace through future episodes. With that, I believe I have given a sufficient introduction into what I intend to do with this podcast. Join me next episode as I delve into the life and beliefs of the historian who I'll be referencing most frequently in the making of this podcast, Mikhailo Khrushchevsky. If you would like to help the effort to send medical supplies to people who need it in Ukraine, please consider donating to the Ukrainian History Podcast Patreon page if you'd like a small cut to go towards the podcast, or donate to Lazum for Ukraine directly. Thank you very much for tuning in, and as always, Slava Ukraini!